Hi, everyone. This is Mark Iskowitz, editor-at-large for MMNM, and welcome to the MMNM podcast. My guest today is Dr. Charlotte Jones-Burton, founder and president of Women of Color in Pharma and a VP at Atsuka, for our regular check-in on pharma's progress on the diversity and inclusion front. We'll wrap up the recent WOSIP conference and get Dr. Jones-Burton's thoughts on the U.S. election results and their likely impact on women of color. First, as we usually do on this podcast, a couple of housekeeping notes. The MMM Holiday Contest is now live. Uh, it's called Home for the Holidays, and uh, on it, we ask agency creatives to explore how the holidays take on special meaning this year. Um, also, uh, last week's MMM Media Summit featured an A-list group of speakers touching on trends in health media and its future. If you missed it, you can catch all of the content on demand, along with archived content from our other recent events like MMM Transform and Hall of Femme at our site, MMM hyphenonline.com forward slash events. Okay, on to the main portion of this podcast and to our chat with special guest, Dr. Charlotte Jones-Burton. Welcome, Dr. Burton. Thank you, Mark, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Let's start by talking about the recent conference, uh, which took place November 5th through the 8th. Give us the highlights and what I understand was a very successful fourth annual installment of uh, WOSIP. Yes, the conference was absolutely amazing. Uh, it was very exciting. We were able to deliver um, an experience for um, those who, who participated. We had record high attendance. This was our fourth annual conference. And if I can take you back to March, when we had to shelter in place at the beginning of the pandemic, we had to make a critical decision in terms of, you know, what were we going to do with the conference? And while, you know, some organizations were um, deciding to wait and see, we took the approach of let's convert it from an in-person experience to a virtual experience, be very thoughtful in our planning. And boy, it really showed um, at the actual conference. So we had 755 people registered. Uh, the engagement was super high. Um, I started off the conference telling people that I really wanted them to, um, you know, download, um, let go of all the distractions and really take advantage of the content um, that we had planned for them. So we organized the conference in four tracks to deliver content um, to our registrants. And it was around partnerships. Um, one big thing in terms of partnerships was ally is a verb and really talking about the importance of allyship. The second track was around professional advancement. Obviously, Women of Color in Pharma is a global professional society, so it's really important when um, we convene our conference that we give people um, tools to advance within their career. And so we had Dr. Ella Bell, who um, is a professor at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College, who delivered a keynote on bring your own chair to the leadership table, um, which was a really great um, opener for the conference. The third track that we had was about perspectives. And here, um, you know, given the um, tumultuous year that we've had, um, and thinking about the injustices, social injustices that are happening and have been happening historically, we took the opportunity to really talk about structural racism and how it impacts health equity. 
Um, and then the final thing was um, from a personal standpoint, how, how do we empower people? Um, and again, that kind of goes along with, you know, people came into this conference. Um, it's been a really tough year for everyone. And we wanted to give our participants uh, something that could really energize them. And so that's how we um, laid out the conference. And what we heard was that we exceeded expectations, that we were able to energize um, those who attended. Um, and it was, you know, someone said they came in totally depleted and they left on an uh, emotional high. Um, so we heard that time and time again from those who attended. So overall, the um, fourth annual conference was um, a success. Wonderful. That's that's wonderful to hear, and it's to, it's really a, a barometer, you know, of uh, of traction toward your actionable goals of of increasing diversity uh, in the industry. Um, any news of note in terms of other firms making actionable commitments uh, to increasing diversity in their workforce, or say in their clinical trials? Yeah. So, um, you know, the a part of the conference um, we highlighted. Um, advancing clinical trials, uh, Quita Highsmith from Genentech, um, who has been really a, a great leader um, in the diversity and inclusion space. She's chief diversity officer um, at Genentech, was able to really share um, some of the successes um, that under her leadership, Genentech has been able to make um, in terms of clinical trials. Um, so that, that's just one example um, of that, we also had um, Pfizer's chief patient officer um, who was able to share, you know, some of the progress that they've made in their COVID um, vaccine clinical trials, making sure that they have um, diverse popu populations um, included. Um, so those are just two examples um, of where we had, um, particularly women of color who are leading um, in the space. Uh, be able to really share what their companies are doing. And, uh, you know, how would you say overall what your assessment is of the achievements for WOSIP as an organization from, from this fourth annual conference? Were there any kind of major uh, initiatives created uh, that we'll see going forward? What I think um, we were able from an organization standpoint to see is that um, within our industry and for women of color um, within the pharmaceutical industry in particular, that the organization clearly has um, cemented the role that we have, not only as you know, being a convener of women of color who are in this space, um, and as, you, as your audience um, may or may not know, focusing on Black and Latina women in this industry. Um, also bringing together sponsors whom we consider our partners and our allies. Um, and so this year we had a 140% increase in participation. No doubt that that was um, a part of it was because we were more accessible on a virtual platform. Um, but the types of people that showed up um, to present are really executives within the companies um, and being able to bring together um, ex the actual leaders within the conference, as well as then the workforce 
um, and also um, entrepreneurs who serve as suppliers to the industry um, is amazing for our organization and in line with what the vision is for this organization. So I expect in the future going forward, we will begin to um, then move the needle as it relates to advancing equity in clinical trials and um, who actually has access to the medicines that we, medicines and devices that we are developing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great to see all of the participation from, from so many different um, you know, manufacturers on the life sciences side. Um, and, um, you know, would you say that the low hanging fruit has kind of been, uh, kind of taken care of and now you're, you're moving on to, um, better, bigger and better goals, as you, as you said, kind of really diversifying those clinical trials, you know, worries, uh, you know, we, we are starting to see, you know, movements, um, on, uh, diversity within workforces. Yeah. And I would say that, um, this year has, put front and center um, the need to come together and partner so that we can advance equity um, in a way in which maybe the urgency hadn't been there before. Um, so I believe um, that we are where we need to be in terms of the organization and convening and having the relationships. Our platinum sponsor was Pharma, which is, as you know, trade association. Um, so that was our platinum sponsor. So it's having these relationships that will then lead to partnerships where we can, as you as you've mentioned, do the hard work, because that is what is in front of us is the hard work and making sure that um, when we're developing medicines, that we are mindful of the populations that will be utilizing the medicines and that we're able to include them um, throughout our uh, drug development uh, lifespan into then when we bring a medicine to market or a device to market. Thank you for pointing out that pharma was the um one of the sponsors there. I know that was a um, priority for you and for other biopharma CEOs I've spoken with on this topic of engaging the trade groups in, in your cause. And so that was a, a very nice sign of progress there that, that you've got them involved because they're the ones that really have to, um, in many cases, operationalize these, um, these tenants, these priorities uh, across uh, the, um, the industry and can help, really, help you really scale up your message. Absolutely. And we believe that the trade associations are uniquely positioned um, to really be leaders in this area um, of advancing equity um, in, in uh, as I've mentioned, in our clinical trials, as well as um, in uh, the medicines and who receives medicines, the medicines that we make and the devices. Okay, uh, let's also talk about another new development uh, this past week, which was the FDA's guidance uh, to enhance diversity in clinical trials and encourage inclusivity in medical product development. That was something you spoke about at the conference um, as well, you know, just the, the need, obviously, for um, you know, more, more equity in clinical trials. But final guidance was released by the FDA this week, and I wanted to get your take on it, given your role in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And let me just start by stating that it is of the utmost importance that our clinical trials include diverse populations that reflect the intended use um, of the medicines and devices that we work so hard to really develop. 
Um, and because of the importance of that, you know, it's my personal belief um, that sponsors have a responsibility to really develop a strategy to be able to enroll these diverse populations. Um, and it's diversity as it relates to race, ethnicity, age, um, and other subgroups. So that's really something that's important. And because that's um, a responsibility, we wanna make sure that the data that comes from our clinical trials are generalizable and, and we're able to really understand um, the benefits and the risk in broadest populations possible. So this guidance that the FDA has put forth um, as you mentioned, um, it's very timely, uh, just came out a few days ago, um, really includes recommendations and considerations to help sponsors in uh, developing such a strategy. And, um, and I, I believe that for those who are listening, um, if you're not aware of it, uh, it's, a, it's a really great primer. Um, a, a big challenge for someone like myself who has been leading um, clinical trials uh, for almost 15 years within the industry um, is, is how the document is positioned. It's guidance, it's non-binding. And so, you know, one of the, the challenges with that is where's the accountability? And if we want, you know, to be provocative, I would say that um, we could say that, will this really move the needle because it is guidance and, um, you know, how will, what will the uptake be? And that's a bit, you know, that's really uh, an outstanding question. So who um, is going to be the one to really raise their hand and say, this must happen. And if it does, doesn't happen, um, here's the penalty and, and maybe, uh, a stick isn't what we're going for. Maybe there needs to be a carrot. But I do think that now that we have this final guidance, that's the level of conversation we need to have, which is the so what. Boy, I wish I had asked that question. Uh, uh, so, so, so as you point out, there's no teeth to it, uh, nor is there really um, a stated incentive, a, a carrot or a stick. So uh, will the guidance really move the needle? Uh, that's something that we will keep our eye on moving forward. And, and as you mentioned, a couple of companies at, at your conference recently, uh, uh, Genentech and, and Pfizer, talked about their efforts uh, and some progress made there in um, upping diversity in their clinical trials. Um, you know, we've seen actually also from the FDA, they talked about the, the low level of, of diversity in the, in the COVID-19 vaccine trials uh, and, and therapeutic trials overall at least uh, good to see more, you know, transparency there and more, more attention being paid. And uh, as you say, this guidance at least puts a, a, draws a, a line in the sand, plants a flag, you know, in the ground, at least gives people something to shoot for. Um, and, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on that for, uh, for, for progress for sure. Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, for those in the industry, um, we can't rest our laurels on, you know, there's guidance and things are great. As I mentioned, there is still, you know, the hard work, it begins now in ensuring the reporting, the transparency, and really building the strategy and developing the relationships that will be required in order to move the needle with uh, relationships with community leaders and with the community. 
um, to be able to move the needle. So there is a, a lot of work that, um, that is needed. For sure. Thanks for your thoughts on all of that. Uh, I thought we would switch gears now for a second and just talk about the uh, U.S. election results, uh, which, um, you know, as, as of the taping of this podcast, we're um, a week away from the U.S. election, but less than that in terms of the uh, announcement by most uh, news outlets that uh, Joe Biden is the president-elect uh, and that, uh, um, you know, he's moved forward in advancing um, his advisory board uh, for addressing the coronavirus pandemic. We saw that uh, this past Monday and uh, the members of that uh, advisory board are former officials uh, in such government agencies as the uh, Office of the U.S. Surgeon General and the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, but I uh, just wanted to get your your take on how a Biden-Harris administration uh, could affect healthcare uh, and efforts to eradicate uh, COVID-19. Yeah, well, let me just start by saying this was a obviously historic moment. Um, and I, I am proud of Joe Biden for being such a brave ally, uh, someone who values diversity, um, someone who is able to um, put his ego aside and move beyond being challenged, uh, which we, we all saw on the public stage when, when he was challenged um, by Kamala Harris, um, but to move beyond that um, and, and name her on his ticket. Um, and so I send a heartfelt congratulations to them um, because they have it really advanced um, our, our, they with the, the, their appointment have really advanced our democracy. Um, and so I'm very proud um, of that. Um, as you've mentioned, um, you know, I do believe that them coming um, in office during a time where we are dealing with this pandemic um, will require um, that they focus on that. You know, that's going to be first job uh, for them. And we've already seen a few things. We've seen that even before they were elected, they were leading by example and sending a clear message of the seriousness of this disease. Um, and what should be done to minimize the spread. Um, and, and that's really an expectation of, of leadership is that they lead by example. Um, they are committed to be led by scientists and public health experts. Um, and we, see, we saw that this week in the uh, appointment of their COVID task force, which is led by um, three physicians, Marcela Nunez, uh, Smith, who's an uh, associate professor at Yale University and also a black woman, woman of color. Um, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who's our former Surgeon General and Dr. David Kessler, who's the FDA, former FDA commissioner. So this appointment of this task force during the transition time really sends a signal of the importance of uh, and seriousness that they, they plan to take here. Um, obviously, we we also got some good news in terms of um, the a vaccine being available. Um, but I think they've also signaled that they want to make sure that um, there is access to this um, and that the um, you know cost is not an issue. Um, so I'm I'm super hopeful that um, they are going to have a positive impact 
on eradicating COVID-19, number one, but also when you think about the principles of access to healthcare, I think they've spoken to that and we can expect that they're gonna take efforts to really strengthen the Affordable Care Act um, and other laws that will help ensure broad access to healthcare. Right, and so uh, yeah, as, as you mentioned, on that same day uh, that they announced the Biden and Harris um, team, also uh, came came the news uh, that Pfizer announced uh, that its, its vaccine candidate uh, had shown ninety uh, percent efficacy in uh, in clinical trials, um, according to an analysis by an outside group, and um, and so that was definitely you know a light at the end of the tunnel for our protracted battle with the pandemic. You know, you you saw a a rhetorical uh, at least. Uh, difference in the way in in the way they were, plan, you know, saying that they're going to address the pandemic versus the way President Trump has, you know, sort of relied more on um, the eventual arrival of a um, you know vaccine. He mentioned several times that, uh, or hinted at several times that, that one could arrive by November third. Of course, you know that didn't happen uh, for various reasons. And and also in a separate announcement, you saw the president-elect say, you know, okay, while the announcement of the, of the vaccine news is, is good news, that still doesn't um, excuse us from the need to follow, you know, proper public health um, and hygiene, uh, you know, like the wearing of masks, uh, social distancing, limiting our exposure to crowds and that sort of thing. Uh, so already, you know, you're seeing that the difference is there. I wanted to also ask you about the fact that, you know, Kamala Harris obviously broke uh, significant ground. She's the first woman, the first you know, black woman, first immigrant to be elected vice president-elect. Talk about how her example you know, affects women of color uh, going forward in pharma and, and in other areas. Absolutely. So I'm reminded of a quote uh, by Bar- Marion Wright Edelman that says, you can't be what you don't see. And I think that in addition to Kamala Harris's appointment being um, you know, historic in terms of for our democracy, there is now an entire generation of women and girls um, who have who have seen her um, in a very bold and courageous way, really shatter a glass ceiling that had existed. Um, and um, that makes me super proud. Um, and I, and I think also, Um, the women that I've had an opportunity to um, speak with and be around. As you mentioned, this news came on the third day of our conference, um, you know, during the middle of the conference. And so I was amongst um, many other women of color um, who are in pharma. And um, and this gives us hope, but it more importantly gives us an example um, of what we can do. Um, so I, I think that um, there's so much that can be said. You know, um, Kamala has used her voice. Um, she has um, stepped into her power and she is someone who's challenged the status quo and been able to be successful in what she does. So she's a, a brilliant, super smart um, woman and I couldn't be more proud of her. And as far as I understand, you have a, a little bit of a personal connection uh, with Kamala Harris. Is that right? Well, yes. Um, in, in a way, um, she and I are um, members of the same sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incap- Incorporated. Um, and so if you call that a personal connection, 
Um, that's exactly what we have. And I look forward to the day where I can actually sit and, and meet her. Um, and hopefully that'll be sooner than I had anticipated. <laughs> Absolutely. If you have any connections, let me know, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. Uh, maybe, yeah. If I can uh, get her as a guest, um, I will definitely, uh, I'll have you both on. How's that? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> okay. Um, we saw industry groups trade statements this week about the omission of Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's Black heritage. WOSIP also issued a statement, which you authored, co-authored, excuse me, with Dr. Kimi Olugemo on behalf of the Board of Directors of WOSIP. Can you recap that statement, and why did you see this as a teachable moment? Yeah, thanks for the question and the opportunity to share. I think it's first important to acknowledge that if we really are going to move the needle as it relates to um, conversations about race, um, ethnicity, um, and racism, uh, specifically in America, which we've had many of those conversations in 2020, it's important um, that we engage in authentic dialogue. And so the statement which WOSA um, issued um, was our attempt at really leading conversations that are more authentic. Um, so specifically, um, it has been noted in formal and informal communications that Kamala Harris's Black heritage um, is not being um, uh, is is not being um, acknowledged. And this omission um, does minimize the contribution that Black women continue to make. Um, and Kamala Harris herself, who identifies as a Black woman, um, is making as we speak. Um, so we felt that it was important for us to um, be vulnerable and step up and state that this omission this it it feels for us as if you are not acknowledging who we are, um, and um, we believe that that is an important step um, in the right direction to being able to have authentic dialogue. Okay, um, so we hope you all enjoy this you know regular check in on diversity and inclusion in the pharma industry, and if you'd like to see other topics covered, let us know. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as, as I did, uh, please like us, subscribe to the podcast, help others discover the, the show. And uh, that'll do it for another episode of the MMNM podcast. Thank you once again, Dr. Joan Burton, for joining us. Thank you all out there for spending a little time with us. Uh, and we'll see you next time on the MMNM podcast. Take care, everybody.